So as you can see, it was incredible. Yeah. So Caitlin Anderson, Megan Lamy, Suzanne Gonzalez, and all of their team did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. We had some incredible volunteers. It was awesome. So let me give you my highlight. So what they did was they broke off in the groups. Once they did, did a lot of things, but they broke off in the groups and their teams and they had to talk about how they can use their talents to be, again, to bless others. And so we partnered with Real Vista Center, which we as a church partner with, to serve uh, um, people in our community, usually homeless people in our community. And each team got to do a pitch on the last day. And they got on stage and had to be creative. There were people who were doing gymnastic dances. There was a group that did a hip-hop group. Um, they were rapping and stuff like that. They were dabbing. It was, like, not my influence, just saying. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a lot. And so they won. And so the team that won got a chance to uh, pitch, not only win the pitch, but they get to lead the church in their actual service opportunity. So the team that won, they're going to put on a dodgeball tournament, um, which you all are going to participate in. And I think the way that they said it is, either you bring $5 or five items or a tent, um, and you show up here, and we're going to probably have this in October. They're going to come up, they're going to give the announcements, and they're going to raise all the money, and they're going to help serve the homeless in our community. Okay, these are first graders through sixth graders that did work. It was awesome. It was awesome. So, yeah, praise the Lord on that. So with that, we started every service this week with the dance competition. So we're going to do that now. Cue up the music. I'm going to get it from the volunteers. No, just joking. <laughs> All right, so we've been in this series in Acts, and we've been in Acts since January. We'll, we'll go all the way to November just before we get into, actually, October. We'll do a short series on a few Proverbs, and then we'll get into Advent. But we are in Acts chapter 15, which is probably the middle of the book, about 12,000 words before and about 12,000 words afterwards. And fitting that it's the middle of the book because they have this big meeting here, which is known as Jerusalem Council. And in this Jerusalem Council, as you heard from the scripture, they're, they're trying to say um, if a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, if they're going to be a part of the community, um, should they be circumcised? And it's more than just circumcision. It's also should they obey and follow everything that Moses had written. So on the surface, it seems like something that's trivial. Um, underneath, what's really happening is they're asking the question of how does the gospel inform people of a community that are different? Because you have people who were raised one way, another group that was raised a different way, and yet they're finding their meeting point in Jesus. And this is a huge point of the church because it has everything to do with the gospel. Is it racial? Absolutely. Is it, is it religion versus the gospel? Absolutely. But at the heart of it is, what does God say about his grace and how men and women come to know him? So we're going to look at that this morning as we walk through the text, and at the very end of it, look at the implications that it has for us as a community. So before we do that, would you guys bow your heads and, and pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus, that you've shown your, us your love, and that you've given us the Holy Spirit, that we may know you, that we may follow you, that we may participate in the mission in which you've started, and which you are sustaining, and which you, can, you will continue. Father, we ask that you would <clears throat> take the word of God today, your word, and you would illuminate it in such a way that we may understand how we are shaped and being formed, um, transformed, ultimately, in the image of your son, Jesus, as a community, Father. Um, help us, Lord, with tension. Help us with um, cultural, racial, and so many different things in which we don't fully understand ourselves. Help us to find our amen in the person of Christ. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was trying to think of two stories to kind of give a broader picture about what's happening in this text to be able to communicate. The first one is this. When I became a Christian, like a young Christian, uh, I was pretty passionate about what it was I was going to do. Like my personality didn't change when I became a Christian, and most of yours don't either. Uh, personalities are God-given. And so what I mean by that is I'm usually, if I'm into something, I'm all the way into something. If there's something I like, I like it, and I want you to like it as well. Um, I'm the type of person that gets the same thing at the same restaurants every time. 
right? And if they, if they stop serving that, I just don't go back to that restaurant anymore, right? I quit. And so that's just kind of the way that I rolled. So when I became a Christian, um, my personality was I'm going to be all the way in. Now, if you grew up around some form of Christianity and you weren't really into it, when you get back into it, you can't help but revert to what you knew or what you were supposed to live like. Here's what I mean. In the church I grew up, what I heard a lot was what not to do. So I knew that I wasn't supposed to, uh, like, drink alcohol. I knew I wasn't supposed to like hip-hop. Um, I knew I wasn't supposed to like hip-hop, and I knew I wasn't supposed to drink alcohol, right? And so those two things, and so when I became a Christian, I was like, all right, I got to get rid of all my CDs. I promise you, I got rid of all, I, whew, I wish I wouldn't have, right? But I got rid of, you know, all the all eyes on me, Tupac. I know I got to get a reference since every, every week. Got rid of those CDs, um, stopped drinking alcohol. And only during communion, though. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, wanted to live the straight and narrow. Okay, so a friend of mine that I grew up with wanted to get out of some trouble, moved to Arizona, say, can I live with you? I'm like, yeah, you can live with me. We were both teaching at the same school, and I began to disciple him. Like, we talked about the scriptures. He became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, I began to lay, in him on, lay into him on some things that were somewhat trivial. They might not have been the best health things, but I was like, hey, man, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't chew tobacco. If you're going to be a Christian, you can't smoke these cigarettes anymore. Hey, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't, shouldn't be drinking. I can't. I mean, just very legalistic, right? And so as you can imagine, the relationship just grew further and further and further away to the point where, like, I'd walk in the house, and he would take his chew out of his lip and, and put it on his armpit. I'm like, I saw that, and that's gross because you're going to put that back in your mouth. Anyway, right? And so it was just a problem. It was a problem. So I had this sense, driving home from school, he was already at home. Um, that I, he had left school early that day. And I was driving home. I'm like, man, I got to somehow kindle this relationship, rekindle this relationship. So I, I stopped by uh, a little gas station or something like that, and I got, a, uh, I got some beer, I mean, but for him. And then when I got back to the house, I said, hey, man, do you want to, you know, let's just have a drink, let's talk. And he goes, really? Like, you're going to? I'm like, yeah, man, I mean, we just, who cares? Just a beer. That opened up so much, right? And we start talking. I said, hey, man, what's, what's, what's going on here? What, what happened? And he goes, man, you, and he mentioned this other guy. He goes, you guys are so heavy on what I'm not supposed to do or what I'm supposed to do that I just feel insecure around you guys. I just feel like every time we talk, it's never about Jesus anymore. It's about what I'm doing right or what I'm doing wrong. Okay, we missed it, right? And what happened was our religion, and our, when I say religion, not the gospel of Jesus, I'm using the word religion in a pejorative way, our religion somehow had got in the way of the relationship. That somehow we had taken things that we thought were Christian freedom, things that we thought would be good for us, and we placed it upon him, and it was too heavy for him, it was crushing him, that he was no longer hearing or receiving or walking into the goodness and the fullness of the gospel. And that was on us as those who were supposed to be leading him, right? And so that began to open up a door of making sure we keep the main thing the main thing. That the gospel in itself begins to reform relationship, not necessarily religions, the things we do or the things we don't do. Side note, we, we don't just do that with each other. We actually assess our relationship with God that way, too. That we begin the relationship with Jesus by grace, this, this unmerited favor, this gift that he gives us. And then the way that we assess it is not by grace. We assess it by what we do. It goes like this. If someone says... Um, yo, how's your walk with the Lord going? Oh, man, great. Why? I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm like all caught up with the True Story Project. Well, not really. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these different things. And usually you just go, all right, I'm doing well. But if you say, hey, yo, how's your walk going? Eh, I'm not reading. I'm not praying. I haven't served here. I haven't served there. And usually it, it usually is based off what you've done as opposed to who you're with and who you are formed by, who's given you grace and so forth. We do that. And that gets in the way. Um, Part of what's happening here is that there's extra things that are good things that they're making the main things, and they're saying it's a yoke, it's a burden. So that's one story. The next story for me is way more personal. 
When I sense a calling in the ministry, and primarily with this particular church, one of the things God laid on my heart was to see us reflect um, economically, racially, culturally, the community that's around us. But to do something that, like, that is a multi-ethnic or a multicultural or eclectic church, it's very difficult. And the last year, by far, in my ministry, like by far has been the hardest, right? And I don't usually say this out loud because people think, oh, is Ricardo going to leave? Listen, I have tried to leave Arizona so many times, right? <laughs> so many times. And usually between June and October, right? Um, <laughs> And honestly, I just don't think that's what God has for me. I prom- and this is not like, oh, that's like a pastor joke. No, no, like talk to my wife. She's packed right now just in case God says yes today, right? <laughs> like we're gone. But God has us here. Like we just can't get out of it. But in the last year, just from a cultural, racial, every- it's just been so intense, right? I know you guys haven't been watching any of that in the last year and how intense it's been with so many different things, just me. But so this time last year, all the shootings start happening. And it was shooting after shooting after shooting. And I'm, I'm processing this like, this is wild. And then I'm on social media at this time, and I'm watching people in our own family, like our church, go at each other in very unhealthy ways. And that was difficult for me because I, I would come on a Sunday, and I would see people who probably wouldn't even ever talk to each other on a Sunday, but then go ham on each other online. Like, it's like there used to be this thing in college called liquid courage. Now there's, like, social media courage. Like, all of a sudden, you just get real big on social media, and it's, all, it's not really healthy, right? And so I'm like, you know what? I pull, I'll pull the plug on that. So I haven't had social media for, for a year, and it's great. Because you know what? People actually have to tell me things. It's weird. Um, and so I miss a lot of things, too. <laughs> So that, that was part of it. And then as we went through the summer, and then now you had, it was, an, it was election year. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. And then it was the same thing. And you had, part of being a, a diverse culture is you're going to have people not are just racially and culturally responding things differently, politically responding things dif- differently. And there's room for that in the gospel if you're coming through the gospel and not through any other lens. But we were coming through other lens. And again, people were back and forth just throwing bombs at people. And you see it on social media. Now you may say, I thought you said you got rid of social media. It's because you people, my friends and family, screenshot it and then sent it to me like, what are you going to do about this? What? I got off of this. I got off of this. Why are you showing me this? Right? I don't pastor people through social media. That's Jim Mullins' job. And so, so I, I, he does that. He does it well. And, and so there's this, there's this tension. And what the tension comes from is, is, is going, you know what would be really easy? And I think this is a lie from the enemy. You know what would be really easy? It's to just be with people who are like you. It's so easy. Because there's a place we all can go to where we can metaphorically uh, let our hair down and just be. We don't have to think about stepping on somebody else's uh, um, shoes. I'm going to say shoulders because I got high knees. Uh, (laughs) uh, You you don't have to worry about offending people because you just know. You know, like, this is how we do it culturally. It's good. But I, I, I think when we begin to look at the scriptures and we look at the church, we realize they always had tension. I think what we're going to see here. Um, and what we see throughout the Bible, the reason why Paul, almost in every letter that he writes, he puts grace and peace. Meaning the only way that, that religion is not going to overshadow um, relationship is if we start with grace. The only way you're going to get people from different parts of society, economically, socially, racially, to actually be one without giving up their, 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 their uniqueness right, oneness, not sameness, is actually if you start with grace. And when you get those people together, it's not going to always be easy. So he starts off almost every letter, grace and peace. He goes to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace, meaning the only way that this is going to happen is if we actually start with the gospel, that we continue with the gospel, and that we end with the gospel. 
That if we under, have understanding that all of us, those who are in Christ, we were saved by grace. Like what that means, at its essence, we believe that we could not. There's a level of humility that has to come from there because God did everything. It wasn't God said, hey, you're almost there. Why don't you come on to my kingdom? It's like, no, you're not even close. I will come to you. And so grace literally is the only level playing field in which we have. But if we use anything else to climb up, we've actually removed ourselves and are getting away from the very good news in which God has given us to share with the world. Amen? Well, now what you have in Jerusalem, excuse me, what you have in Acts 15 is they have a counsel about this because they're trying to figure out how does the gospel go forth to people who are not like us? How does the gospel go forth because we were raised this way and they were raised this way? How does this happen? And so this, what we see in chapter 15, the first few verses is the problem gets, comes up and then they have this long debate and then they give a solution. And I think from its solutions, we can draw some implications culturally for who we are as a people. So chapter 15, verse 1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, that's like a, that's a big deal. I don't, I don't know what could be more offensive to a Christian to tell them you're not a Christian, <laughs> right? Like the very thing they've given their life to Jesus, and then someone says, hey, unless you do this thing, you're not a Christian. Like they're not talking to people who are not already followers of Christ. They're talking to people who are and said, hey, we just came back from Jerusalem, and you guys have to be circumcised in order to be Christian. What's the problem? And Paul doesn't like it at all. And so verse 2, it says, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, meaning they got heated over it, and a, de a debate with them, and Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great, it brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Now, verse 5, here it is. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, circumcise them in, to order them to keep the law of Moses. And you say, okay, why is circumcision that big of a deal, right? One, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. There was many covenants in the Old Testament, and God would give them a sign, right? And Abraham, with Abraham came the sign of circumcision. Like, Abraham got the worst end of this because Noah got a rainbow. <laughs> it was all bad for Abraham, right? But these were just signs, and these were signs that God was at work. Um, this was a way in which God began to move, but they all pointed ultimately to the covenant. And what Jesus says, there is a new covenant, the final covenant, the covenant of his blood. Therefore, what preceded that is not that we don't live in covenantal relationship with God, but we relate to him through his blood that cleanses us. And so now what's happening is they're trying to get rid of the gospel, in essence. And Paul is very passionate about this. In fact, many scholars believe that Galatians, the book of Galatians, was written um, before the Jerusalem Council. And the reason why Paul writes, if you ever get a chance to read Galatians, Paul writes very, very, it seems like, angry because he's so passionate about the gospel. And he says there's people who come in who are coming in who are adding to the gospel. And the way they were adding to it, it says that in order for you to be a Christian, you have to believe in Jesus and then do these things. And he says, if anybody else comes to you, because if another apostle comes, if an angel comes, may they be cursed because they're ruining and tampering with the gospel. Because that's an issue. If you add anything to the gospel of grace, grace by its definition means unmerited favor. 
The way that God works, it is not that we were good enough that God says, I'm going to bring you to my kingdom. No, we were so far, we were so lost. God is the one who comes finding us and reaching out to us and welcoming us into his family by his sovereign mercy, grace, and love. It is 100% the grace and love of God that brings us in, not ourselves. And we can't look at people and go, you know what, they're, they're more likely to be Christian than somebody else. No, no, not at all. That the people who are most likely to be Christian are sinners. That means everybody's most likely to be a Christian, right? Because God's grace necessitates sin, not almost perfection. It necessitates sin that I can't. So therefore, there's this level of humility that should come from it. So when Paul and Barnabas and the leaders hear this, they're like, oh, heck no. But they said something else. But in the name of Jesus, they said, we have to go to Jerusalem and we have to talk about this. Because Jerusalem at the moment was still the head of the church. So they make their journey to Jerusalem. They get to Jerusalem, verse 6. And the apostles and the elders were gathered to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God knows the heart. He bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are we putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. Here's, first, it starts with Peter. Peter had been the leader of the church. In fact, this is the last time we're going to hear from Peter. So say peace out to Peter. This is the last hit. Um, Peter gets up and he goes, guys, what, what are we doing? Like, do you not remember what God said? He said that it was going to be through me and through this ministry the gospel was going to go forth through the Gentiles. So for we can understand this a little bit because it's people from the Pharisee party. But these are Pharisees who had now believed in Jesus. We give the Pharisees a hard, like, you know, like we, we're hard on them. Jesus was too, but... The Pharisees were trying to be pure. They were trying to do things right. They had read and read of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and how their forefathers had gotten it wrong. So they wanted to be pure to make sure that they were doing exactly what God said. But what happens is when you remove yourself from grace and things don't build upon grace, you begin to trust more in what you do instead of what God has done. And there's a level of arrogance that can come from there. And it happens in different ways, that we really don't understand grace as well as we think we do. We really don't understand transformation that comes from grace as well as we think we do. So here's a couple of ways that this has been in my life. Um, and I've shared this with you before, that when I was going through this study with this guy that was leading a bunch of guys through this study. It was 40 weeks long. It was way too long. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> one, one week... We're reading, we're doing the reading um, just before the class. Everybody had probably read before, but I was reading it just before the class, and it said, um, Christians don't only repent of the things they do wrong, but they repent of the things of do, they do right. And I thought, that must be a typo, because why would you ever repent of the things you do right, right? I just didn't get it. And I began to understand it ultimately looking at the heart and how easy it is for us to think that, um, that our change is always born of the gospel when really it's probably just behavioral change. And so I begin to think about, wait a minute, that, wait, why would I repent of doing good? What are some areas of my life? And when I became a Christian, there were, there were very little things I felt like it was, like almost everything God said, I was like, that's easy, let's do it, right? And when people were discipling, it's easy, let's do it. Like, yeah, you know, you, you can't steal things, you can't do drugs. I'm like, easy, let's do it. You know, you, you can't, uh, you know, lie to people. Okay, cool, let's do it. Um, you got to give money to the church, let's do it. You can't have sex before marriage. What? 
<laughs> and so, so, so that was just like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. It almost sounded like you just said, right? <laughs> it's exactly what he said, right? So, so that was a part where I had people in my life walk me through that. And then, okay, this is a level of my life when I got to this study that I've been living in purity, and I'm like, this is great. And I thought, had I really changed because of what God said or because every other week when I had to go meet with my accountability buddies, I didn't want to have to say, yeah, I failed again. So in one sense, I just took the idol of comfort that comes from this world and the lie that that says, and I transferred to the human approval idol. But on the surface, my behavior had changed. It doesn't mean I really got the gospel. And so when you really get in deep into the gospel, realize, wait a minute. I, and so, so here's what happened, especially with my buddy, my old roommate, Zach. What I would do with him was like, come on, look at me. I did. How come you can't do it? Whoa, 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 whoa. If we're saying look at me and not saying look what God is working and doing through me, then we may actually be looking at behavior modification and less of gospel transformation. So that's why we need to repent of the things in which we do right, because oftentimes our hearts are all bad. Lots of times our hearts are all bad. So you, you, you have this picture of now these, these Pharisees, they've been trying to live up to this. But they're a little bit hypocritical in their own self. Because when Peter gets up, he goes, guys, guys, let's just be honest. Nobody's been able to do this. Our fathers haven't. Moses couldn't even do it. He didn't even get a chance to go to the promised land. He, he wrote it. Nobody's been. Why are we putting God to test? Meaning, why are we trying to test God as if the gospel isn't good enough? That we think, this is what happens in churches. If you preach too much grace, people are going to live any way they want. Hey, let me tell you something. People are going to do whatever they want regardless. We are sinners and we will naturally do whatever we want. When it comes to grace, if the thought is, don't preach too much grace, give more rules. When Jesus came, he did not come to give us more rules, he came to give us his life. He came to give us new life. He came to give us rest. That if we begin to understand what grace really is, our desire now is before God because he who had infinite cost gave himself for us who did not deserve it. So now I live for him. I, des I delight to, to be like him, to follow him as a community. So you can't get away from grace. If you get away from grace, you get away from the gospel. And if you get away from the gospel, you get away from God. It's a problem. It's a problem. And then from that, every other conversation we have, whether it's culturally, whether it's racially, it becomes something that's off because it's not born of the very power and truth in which God has given us. Amen? So, so Peter's pretty upset right now. And not just Peter. It's not just Peter. Other people begin to speak too. Verse 12, it says, All of the assembly felt silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done among them and the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. And you have to listen to James. Why? He's Jesus' younger brother. Right? He's like, hey, is anybody here like walk with Jesus? He goes, well, I mean, I grew up with him. So, <laughs> James says here, no big deal. Listen to me. Continuing here, uh, verse verse fourteen. A after he finished speaking, James replied, "Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take a people to take them a people for His name, and with this words, with the words of the prophets, the prophets agree, just as it is written." After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that David has, that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble, we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual morality and from that which has been strangled and from the blood. 
For from ancient generations, Moses has had, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Okay, here's what's happening here in this whole picture. You have this church that's meeting, and it's the whole church is there, and the leaders are speaking. My assumption is this is long, right? And it's a debate. And you know how Christians debate. They're very um, calm. They say, you talk first, and when you're done, I'm going to repeat back what you said just so I make sure I got it right. And if it's good, we move on. Like, that's how they, never, right? <laughs> and so they're going after it because this matters. And then finally, Peter says, no, the Holy Spirit was pouring out. The Holy Spirit wasn't pouring out upon people who were circumcised only. It was for anybody who would come to saving faith in Jesus. Like, the gospel is for anybody. I'm sorry, guys. This is, this is just the way it is. And then Barnabas and Paul say, hey, we agree with Peter. We, we, we with Peter because we, we've, been, we've been going to these places, and here's the signs and wonders. There was a man who he hadn't walked for years, and God worked through us, and he was able to walk. Um, we, we've seen God. We can testify to the, to the signs and wonders and miraculous things that God's been doing, that prisons were, were broken free and people were freed. I mean, we've just been seeing some amazing things. This is what God has done. And then James gets up, and he goes, listen to me. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have to. You're Jesus' brother. So then James gets up, and he goes to the scriptures. He goes, let's look at the scriptures. And it's about four to five, maybe six um, uh, allusions of scriptures in which he's using from the Old Testament in some ways to say this is what all the prophets pointed to. A day in which Jesus would reconcile all people together to himself um, and to each other. That this picture of David was not something that was going to only be ethnically, ultimately God only working through the Jews, but God redeeming all of creation and any man or woman who would come to faith in Jesus could get in on this. Because if that's the case, and it's working through God's grace, and the sign in which we know now is by the Holy Spirit, and we see the Holy Spirit being poured upon us, what are we doing? And then he says, okay, so here's what I say they do. They're in. And the reason why they're in is because God is in them. Like the way you become a Christian is not about anything you do. It's because God comes to you and says, get in on this. There's, there's a beauty of that. There's a, there's a scandalous nature of grace. It really is. You know why? There's no economy, there's no system of which that works. Where someone says, you are not fit, you are not good, get in. It's yours. Right? Like if, if, if you're at your place, if you're an employer, you hire people, and you say, you know what, you've never handled money in your life. In fact, your, your whole financial situation is a mess. Come work for me. We handle money. I'm just going to show you grace today, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. But when it comes to the economy of God and the kingdom, God operates through grace. He operates through grace. He levels the playing field, and he does the work because he... He takes the pain, he takes the penalty, he pays the debt all upon himself that we may freely walk in it. So he reconciles us to himself, and then he begins through that same grace, begin to reconciling us to each other. And when we begin to mess up that free grace that, that any man or woman or child, no matter what they have done, can get in on it, then we are no longer being faithful to the scripture, thus we're not being faithful to Jesus Christ himself. Himself. Like it's a big deal. So, so in our church where we talk about there's open-hand issues and there's closed-hand issues. Like open-hand issues could be things like should you drink, should you not drink. Um, that's an open-hand issue. Some Christians will, some Christians won't. An open-hand issue could be what you believe about end times. Like how is God going to come through the millennial? Is it I'm millennial? And if you're going, I don't know what that means, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> we just don't know when. That could, right? And that's an open-hand issue. A closed-hand issue would be um, is Jesus the only way to salvation to the Lord? Absolutely. Um, do, are we saved by grace working through faith alone and Christ alone? Absolutely. I cannot fudge on that. Like, that cannot be opened up. Like, that is, that, that is it. Those are closed-hand issues. The other issues we're going to disagree on for, until Jesus comes back. One person says it this way. The only thing that matters is the gospel of the kingdom. 
Nothing else matters. But because the kingdom matters, everything matters. Because <laughs> Jesus is redeeming all things. But it has to start first through the gospel of God's kingdom in which we enter in. And if you look at the way that they come to their conclusion here, there's all the facets. There's one people who say God spoke and he moved. There's signs and wonders. There's experience. And there's also scripture. There's the word of God. Some people only want to say, oh, it's, if, it's, if I can't see it explicitly in the word of God, experiences don't matter. And yet Paul's going, sorry, we, <laughs> the man wasn't walking and, and, and he's walking now. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that, <laughs> right? That's an experience. And then James says, no, the word. And Peter says, well, God spoke. It's all of those things together to say, it seems that God is at work in this place and he's at work in drawing people together. What are we going to do? And then they give him a few things. And these things where I think we can draw implications from. They said, okay, they're in. They're in, because clearly God says they're in. Um, and here's the only thing we ask, is that they don't mess around with stuff that's polluted the idols. That they stay, that they, they stay sexually pure. There's not sex morality. Um, they don't um, get the blood that's been, uh, eat animals that's been, their, their blood, they've been strangled. Just some weird things that I know that we go through daily and that comes up in your small group all the time. Um, because what is happening there? Okay, here, here's what's happening here that I really want us to get. One is they don't want any religious negative, I'm using that negatively, religion to get in the way of relationship between each other and the gospel. They knew that the Gentiles would be gathered into churches that were made up of predominantly Jewish people, and they were still going to exercise the way that they lived. They're going to still follow Moses. They're still going to go to the synagogue. They were going to still do those things. And Paul didn't say, or Luke didn't say they needed to stop. It was fine. But it meant it was for everybody. They weren't allowed to impose that upon anybody else to say this is what it means to be Christian. But in the same way that culturally, if you were going to be in a relationship with them at the foot of the cross, just give that up. It wasn't like it was sin if you did it, but it was saying because I'm in a relationship with you, I'm going to give that up. I'm going to actually get to understand your culture in such a way that there's things that I'm, I know that are trigger words that I'm not going to say. There, there's, there's foods that, should, that are going to be eaten that I'm just not going to eat. There's certain phrases and things that could be said that, that kind of set you up. So I'm not going to say them because I know I've been reconciled with God, and now that same grace is reconciling you to me. Does that, does that make sense? You guys get where I'm going? No. Um, <laughs> other, other things here culturally is that in that day, um, when it came to strangling animals, it, it was a way in which they would practice um, false religions to other gods. And that was something conscience-wise that many of the Jewish people were like, we just can't do it. We can't do that. And what, Paul, what, what, the, what the gospel says is that now Christ has paid all things for you, that when you come in relationship with people, there are certain things that you just, you just can't give up for that moment um, in order to be in relationship with people. Let me give you an example of what this kind of looked like for me. So when I first became a Christian and started going to church, it was the first time I started going to a predominantly white church. Um, and, you know, going up in the church, yeah, you know, so growing up in the church that I grew up in, like, you, you, like, you just had to dress up on Sundays. There was just no way around it, you know? Um, and when I showed up to the church, every, pastor, every white pastor that I saw had a Hawaiian shirt on. And I was just thinking, is this, is this, what is this, right? It was always like, hey, it's casual, just kind of wear a Hawaiian shirt, a Hawaiian shirt. And it was like, I guess that was the thing, right? And I used to, and I used to show up just looking, I mean, I was just, I was just different, right? I was just different, not just because of my skin color. I was just, I was like a 22-year-old young hip-hop fresh. And so <laughs> we, when I, when I grad, so I, I get done from that church, I start working at another church um, that's predominantly white. Uh, doesn't matter which church, it was Redemption Gilbert. And so I'm there. <laughs> I'm there, and as an intern there, um, I, one, of the, one of the pastors came to me, and he set me down, and he says, hey, 
because I was like, man, I feel like people just don't relate to me, man. I just feel like, I don't know if this is for me. I just feel like, I don't know, I just feel like they don't relate to me. I feel like I've been able to relate to people my whole life, but it's just not working, maybe because they're older than me. And he says, you know what? A lot of it is the way you dress. And I was mad, right? Because I'm like, don't get mad because you ain't got it. <laughs> and to be honest with you, it was literally like, like culturally it was just not the same. Like I had a, like, you know, the pro club white tee down to here. I had the jeans and the hat. And, 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 um, and I'm trying to lead Bible studies with dudes who are like 40 years old. And they're like, listen, listen, the people don't dress like that at Paradise Bakery. Sorry. Um, and, and this dude sent me down and I was upset. And he says, if you actually were yourself, don't give up yourself. He goes, don't be, he literally said this to me, don't become like us, but become such a way that you could actually win us. And that changed everything. And it wasn't sin if I did, if I didn't, but if it was for the sake of relationship and community, that that, that, that meant going to Ross and get another shirt, get another shirt <laughs> it mattered. What, what's happening here is cultural. It's cultural. It's not actually gospel. They already did with the gospel. But the gospel informed it in such a way that now a Gentile doesn't say, but I'm a Gentile, I can do whatever I want to do. That's how I, I've been doing this my whole life. No, I'm a Christian. I'm a Gentile who's been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And for my brother and my sister in Christ, I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. And the same way that the person who had been in it, a Jewish person, couldn't say, hey, now that they're in, here's what they need to do. They got to wear this. They got to do this. They got to get circumcised. They got, oh, no, 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 no. Now I'm a Jewish person, and I don't use my distinctiveness of being Jewish, but I've been, I've been brought and purchased and cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Christ. Therefore, my life is no longer my own. It's God's, and the way God uses me is for others. And so grace says something, it, it, it draws me into the Lord, but it draws my eyes towards everybody else. And that means we come together in such a way that there's always going to be tension, there's always going to be friction, but grace creates a space for those very, very difficult conversations, just like it did here. Grace creates a space for a cultural understanding to go, what are the things that I need to go without in order that you can go, that you can be with you and I can be with you and you can be with me? What are the things that I need to learn from you? Because there's a humility that says, I did not get in off my merit. I got in off the merit of Christ that was given to me. And that, that which I have, I basically give back to the Lord in glory by serving the people around me. And that comes with knowing each other, being with each other, and saying there's no, nothing that I'm going to eat, there's nothing I'm going to say, there's nothing I'm going to do that's going to offend you and, and, and get rid of the relationship that God is trying to make between us. Amen? That's so much easier said than done. And I believe that's Paul's experiences. That's why he starts every letter with going, grace and peace. Guys, we can't do it without grace and peace. Can't do it. Can't. Grace and peace. And the one thing that's universal, that's not cultural, is sexual morality. And the reason why that's there, because why is that just a tag? It seems like it's a tag on. All the other ones are cultural, and one is like, no, no matter where you are. It's because the gospel was now moving away from Jerusalem. It was moving away from that being the center, but ultimately, God, wherever the gospel was preached, that's where the presence of the Lord would be, and the kingdom of God would be coming. But when, in the Jewish culture, there was already an ethic that was there of sexual morality. But when it came to going to these pagan cultures that had never had an understanding of Jesus, that their life was ultimately living in a lot of cult prostitutes and so forth, and a prostitution and, and a lot of immorality and when it comes to sexual ethics, and they're saying, okay, as you come to Jesus through grace, now the lordship of Christ begins to affect even that area of your life. And I think that's something that's pretty good. And it's prevalent for us. Like, I'm not an idiot. Like, when I, when I sit down with people who are not married, and I say, um, are you guys having sex? They look at me like, oh, do you know? Yes, I know. You know why? Because when, before I was married, I knew people who did that. <laughs> so, like, but it doesn't mean 
that doesn't, if you are a follower of Christ, he's saying, as you've received his grace, here's what it looks like. It looks like you caring for one another, and it looks like you being pure. It's so, like they try to make it very simple. Write a letter. What should we tell them? I'm ready. Tell them that they've been saved by God's grace, bought by his blood, um, don't eat other animals' blood, and, and um, remain pure. Send it, right? Like if we just like, receive God's grace, and in God's grace turn our eyes towards one another and try to live holy and pure as a community— I think we'd be doing just fine. I think we'd be doing just fine. And if we are receiving God's grace and in conversation with one another, more likely that we can understand and actually have verbal dialogue as opposed to social media rants. More understanding instead of just confusion. Doesn't relieve the tension, but it does get a little bit more understanding because the, the level playing field that we have at standing at the foot of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your life and the love that you've given us. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, for your mission. We complicate it. We complicate it, Lord. Um, Lord, I thank you for just the human elements in this, in this story, Lord. Just people looking at the scripture, listening to the spirit, looking in the ways in which you've moved to be able to proceed. Father, I pray that as we look at what you've done through this congregation in this city, as we look and understand and follow your word, God, that we would see and experience and know the signs and wonders that you were doing through us, that we would um, understand what is the next step as we take the gospel forth. Father, I ask that you would continue to make us one, that, Father, we would understand grace in such, an, such a way, Lord, that we realize not only does it tether us to you, but it tethers us to our brothers and sisters. They're not going anywhere, Lord. We're going to be in all eternity with them, Lord, and so help us to live together now in a way that this world may see and know that we are loved by you. And that your grace is more than sufficient just for our forgiveness of sins, but it's sufficient even for our relationships. It's sufficient for, drink, for bringing people into your kingdom. God, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.